You're listening to Sword and Pen. Hey everyone, this is Rich from the Sword and Pen podcast from Military Veterans and Journalism. Today I'm sitting down with a military veteran in journalism, Clyde Gunter. He's a volunteer for us on our volunteer team in Military Veterans and Journalism, and he's a production assistant at ESPN. So Clyde, thanks for joining us today. Uh, no problem. It's a pleasure to be on a pod and um, speaking about things that need to be spoken about and advocating for, you know, vets and journalism. For sure. So uh, we'll start off with a, a not heavy question at all. What does journalism mean to you? Um, so I would say journalism, what journalism means to me, um, pretty short, but just providing an accurate and reflective account of any and every piece of information, um, whether it's about, you know, an event that happened, whether it's about just news that um, people need, whether the outlet is big, small, print, digital, or television, um, just choosing to relay that to people in the most accurate and reflective way. Um, that's kind of what journalism means to me. Cool. Um, so what do you think, what kind of parallels do the military and the world of journalism have with each other? Um, so I would say the main parallel that I came up with, um, was pretty much like they both act as the first response for the people it serves. So in the military, obviously like first responders, um, frontline, um, would probably be the better way to phrase that, um, and in journalism, it's the same way, like typically the f some outside of paramedics or, you know, just whoever's responding to what it is or whatnot. Journalists are the first on the scene, the first to, you know, catch wind of these things happening. And um, yeah, they're on the front line most of the times, whether it's a court case, whether it's a sporting event, whether it's entertainment or whether it's just going to somebody's door. Um, knocking on somebody's door and, you know, getting a story about, you know, somebody who may have passed or a kid that may have been involved in, you know, something terrible. Like it's just being on the front line. So I think that's the main parallel um, yeah. between the military and journalists. For sure. And I think both act to um, protect our republic you know, in, in different ways, but, you know, exposing injustice on the journalism side and maybe delivering justice on the military side or protecting it, you know, but I think the protector of uh, re the Republic is something that both roles definitely fill um, for sure. So uh, what, what exactly did you do in the military? What was your job? So in the military, I was in the Navy and my job was an operations specialist and pretty much, um, I guess the way I explain it to a lot of people who haven't been on the ship, I worked in the room. If you've ever seen Battleship, it was the room that was dark, had the blue and green lights, um, the real tactical place, a lot of people speaking in brevity and things like that. So I worked in that room for five years in like a command and control center, very similar to a newsroom in the ways that it functions. And um I was an operations specialist, so directly supported officers, the operations officer and the commanding officer from an information gathering standpoint and also 
from a tactical standpoint. So in that room I worked in called CIC, the Combat Information Center, uh, we had missile control, all access to all the radars um, in terms of communicating with other ships. Um, we controlled those red phones that you may see in movies when people grab the red phone and speak in brevity to somebody on another ship or somebody on land. Um, that was me and also um, just tracking the ship's course as well. So it was a job where you had to wear a lot of hats and we were pretty much the need to know. Like we had the need to know on everything. So anytime somebody wanted to know something um, that wasn't too sensitive, they always knew like, hey, we can go to the OS's operation specialist because they got there. Like we had our finger on the pulse and where we worked, that was called the central nerve of the ship as well. So it was kind of served like a newsroom in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, so, from how you're describing it to me sounds like being in a newsroom or, you know, being part of a news organization where, you know, certain people know what's going on and, and not everybody gets to know the scoop or not everybody gets to know the leads or, you know, whatever. I mean, I think, and managing multiple things at, at one time. So um, I think it's a ton of parallels in that, in that sense, which is probably helpful for people who are not, I don't have a military background to hear that stuff. So yeah. you know, they could kind of be like, Oh, okay. That, that, that makes sense. You know, especially when you relate it back to like movies and stuff. Uh, so uh, where's the red telephone for you uh, in journalism now? What are, what are you doing in, in journalism? Um, I guess the red telephone for me now would probably be, so now I'm working on um, ESPN's flagship show sports center and um, I guess a lot of ways the red phone now would probably be um, st st working right in front of e EMPS and, you know, getting those wires coming across the top in terms of sports news, uh, since everything where I work is sports centric. So anything, something happens in real time, like we have a million TVs on a, a million different channels, some being ESPN channels, other being local channels. And um we have a lot of direct connections to um, beat writers and journalists who are working on these specific sports. So the moment they find out something, they probably hit up one of our insiders and then our insiders relay that information to us. Right. So sounds a lot like the military. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, with all these parallels and whatnot, like what, what attracted you to the field of journalism? What made you want to go down that path post-military or was it before that you got that you knew that you had to bug? Um, so for me, it was before I actually got out. And um, for me, it was really the video journalism side of things. So I was a big fan of Complex Network, um, XXL, a lot of like hip hop and urban outlets that had kind of shifted from print when I was growing up into the digital spaces. I became a teen and an early 20 something. Um, and I was really intrigued by just like the host that they had, the people that they had in front of the camera. And like, I'm a big music guy. So they were really just talking about all the things I love about music, specifically hip hop. And my, I was just like, how do I do that? I'm just like, I enjoy the military, but um, this is a chapter that I want to close and I want to, you know, do something that I really, really enjoy every single day. And um, I just started looking up all the talent that I would see on Complex Network and even 
on BET or MTV's like social pages because there would be a lot of young, black, brown talent, people talking about things that like I was in tune with. And I just start doing my research on LinkedIn, Googling them like, hey, what did they go to school for? What did they study? And I started seeing journalism, communications. And to me, I always, when I heard somebody study journalism, I just assume, okay, they write. Like they write, it's print. But then I start seeing the other jobs that you could do from a um, degree in journalism or communications or anything else like that. Other people have backgrounds like English and some of them, they are kind of, I, I had actually reached out to a few people in New York while I was still serving and they were, they had went to school for finance, but they kind of took their discipline and wrote about it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of served as a path to journalism for them. So um, just being in that newsroom, I like being in combat where I worked on the ship, I love the feel of it. I love the atmosphere of just like relaying information, getting information, just like the it, just the, the atmosphere I worked in. Like I was I was addicted to it in a lot of ways. Like I look forward to being in that atmosphere and um, having having my hand on just the pulse of a lot of things. So I immediately started equating that to like a newsroom. I'm like, you know what, being in a newsroom, it seems up tempo, seems like it can be up tempo at times you're always going to be the first person to get some breaking news. And like, it's up to you to, these were our pillars for my job in the military to gather process, disseminate. And I forgot the other two, but pretty much just information gathering, right. gather information, process it, and then disseminate it to the proper parties. And I'm like, I think I could do that in, you know, the realm of news, media, whatever it is. I just kind of want to be in a similar room to that. So that's kind of what inspired me to want to go into journalism. And yeah. then when I got into journalism, a million other opportunities and just jobs that I didn't even know, you know, could stem from journalism. Um you know, came about. I, I think like you, there's a lot to unpack there, you know, but I mean, you hit on some huge points, which is that, you know, there is journalism doesn't fit in a box, you know, like uh, real neatly. I mean, you could be a finance person and you could write about finance for, you know, a journalism or a publication or whatever it may be, you know, I mean, or, I mean, but all those parallels of communication dissemination and controlling of operations you know and and working in a high stress environment those all you know those all bleed over and and you could be in so many different facets of journalism just like you can be in the military but you could connecting those things together like you mentioned is i think you know where you really shine you know where you can shine you get the opportunity yeah. to um and you see those like unique angles that you can you can plug in at where other people aren't seeing the opportunity because you've been like exposed to things outside of the normal construct, you know, yeah. like college internship, you know, job offer, you know. Yeah, so exactly. Um, so you know, kind of moving into your your foray into journalism space. I mean, how did you feel welcome? Did you meet other veterans? You know, I mean, what was that experience like? Um. So for me, I had a rather unconventional path. Um, so when I got out the military, um, I started school two weeks after I got out. And my thing was, um, I was 25 when I got out and I didn't necessarily want to go straight to undergrad. I didn't want to spend my whole GI Bill on undergrad. And I was talking to a lot of people in the journalism field 
And um, a lot of them was just like, honestly, if you can get the training, if you're writing now, if you can get the training, like actually get the skills and see, can you leverage your experience? Um, and possibly, you know, maybe, maybe you won't have to use your whole GI Bill on a journalism degree, which could kind of be precarious or whatnot, depending on where you land right. and um, the resources that you have to kind of help you put you in a position or whatnot. So me, I, I was 25. I wanted to get into the field as soon as I can. So I chose to go to like the New York Film Academy that had a one year broadcast journalism, all intensive program. And that was a year of, of one week. We pitch a story to our teachers who were active working professionals in the field and at all that. We pitch a story to them. We go out anywhere in the five boroughs. We shoot it bring it back, make a package. The next week we put it together in a news show. So we did that for a year straight. And I'm, in my opinion, for me, I know how I learned. I'm more hands-on. That was what I needed. Like yeah. just a year. I'm, I'm like, I've, I've had five years of professional experience supporting senior leadership, executive level officers that can translate for me. Like yeah. I know it can. And I'm just like, I just need to be able to get a nice reel together. So when I got done with school, I always knew like, I'm not going to a four year institution. So I'm going to have to network. Like I knew that I'm like, I'm going to have to network because I won't have the luxury of, you know, having that network from a four year college or university to kind of lean into and this right. and that. So I would say it was, at times it felt unwelcoming, especially being in New York where you got Columbia, you got NYU, right. you got Fordham, you got all these schools and this and that and all these pipelines that are feeding into these, um, you know, corporations and media outlets or whatnot. So at times I, naturally felt unwelcome because I'm just like, I'm, I don't fit in. And a lot of times I may not get the two or three minutes to explain my military service yeah. and how that has prepared me as a 25 year old to be able to adapt, to be able to, you know, um, identify stories, to just be able to, to get a job done essentially. Right. And um, so at times it was un unwelcoming for me Um but I had to persist. Like I had to, like I knew my circumstances and I had to adapt because of my circumstances. So I really leaned into networking and just getting my story out there, like setting up one-on-ones with people, as many people as I could, looking up on, looking people up on LinkedIn, um, any, you know, any, any outlet that I had the chance to go to just like, you know, identifying that they have a veteran um, resource group or anything like that. And just really just putting myself out there and putting myself on people's radar. So it was unwelcoming, but I had to adapt because I knew I chose a different route from the conventional one. Right. Which is something that being a military veteran, you know, or having been in uniform at one time, <clears throat> adapting and overcoming is, is everyday life, mental agility, you know, like all those things. I mean, that's just every day. I mean, there's challenges presented to you constantly. And, you know, just like you go to uh, in the army, they call it AIT, but you know, the advanced school training, you go to basic and then you go to your specialty school. 
that school ain't four years long, you know, it's, you know, between, I don't know, six and eight months, depending on your job type. But, you know, you come out of that and you do it every single day and you, you grind and you come out and you're like, all right, cool. Like, you know what, the rest is, is figure outable, you know, I'll I'll be able to, I'll be able to get it. And I'll have people around me that I'll draw off of you become resourceful and you're a team player and all these things though, you know, I think if, you know, if you don't have the mentality like you, which is great, like, you know, uh, another guy who's getting out and maybe he's like, you know, I just, I don't know how to translate that. You know, I don't know how to, to, to translate the fact that, you know, I, how do I compare, you know, being in a ship to being in a newsroom, you know, but, but you could see that, you know? So I think, like you said, finding veterans that are in that place of work already uh, in that organization is huge because those are the cats who are going to be able to be like, Hey, this is what you got to say. You know, this is how, you know, this is how you translate that. And also another big point I think was you got to tell your story. Like you can't be, I think something in the military is, is that you're kind of taught to like hold back, you know, be like very humble, you know, like don't, yeah. don't put yourself out there. Cause you don't want to be, you know, a, uh, well in the army, you call them like spotlight Rangers, you know, or whatever, yeah. you know, you don't want to like, you know, be a spotlight. And, but you know, and it's, when you get out, you can't think about it like that. That's not what it's being, but you got to eat and you got to, you got to, you know, you, you have to make your name. And in order to do that, you have to make people listen and and come up with a good story, a good elevator pitch, a good resume, a good LinkedIn profile, good story of why you're different than the thousands of other people out there who want to do the same thing, Mm -hmm. you know? So I, I definitely think that that's huge. And I mean, how, how would you say you use your military experiences to kind of like do some of the things that we spoke about and, and leverage that to make yourself more competitive in the field that you're in right now? Um, you mean like how have I used um, my military experience to kind of like, how do I use it currently at work? Yeah. Yeah. Like how do you implement okay. the stuff that you learned and did? Um, I would say mainly just, Honestly, a lot of intangibles. Um, I think it boiled down to a lot of intangibles, but mainly being resourceful, like letting people know, like, hey, like I can work in a team. Like, honestly, I don't care how we get it done, just as long as we accomplish it. And I think people really appreciate that because in a lot of ways, as a veteran going back to school, whether you do a one year all intensive like me or whether you do four years, you're going to be around a a younger group of people that acted like you acted at the age of 22 or 23, trying to prove like, Hey, I'm the most intelligent in this field. Hey, I'm like, you know, it's more of an individual mindset as opposed to like a collaborative mindset. So as a 25 year old, 26 year old, or however old you are when you get out and you actually get in these fields, just like making it known, like, Hey, like, honestly, I'm resourceful. Like I'm, I'm asked a question one time. I'm gonna get it. I'm not going to be afraid to ask a million questions either. That's something in the military. Like we can't stand somebody who, (laughs) who, who won't ask the question, especially when you know you're working in a high stake, high intensity, uh, highly intense environment and atmosphere where it's just like, Hey, you need to speak up or something could go bad. Somebody could get hurt. Property could be lost. So like, come into the civilian world it's just like oh I have no problem with that like it takes a team to accomplish everything and I think working in a newsroom whether it's sports entertainment politics whatever just people knowing like hey I can go to this guy because I know if he got a question 
I don't got to worry about it. He's going to get it done. He's going to be resourceful. Like, I don't know how he's going to get it done, but he's going to get it done and he's not going to be afraid to ask for help. Right. And I, and I think in a lot of ways, asking for help could be perceived as, you know, weak or, you know, um, not being, you know, the most refined in your field, but no, 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 no. Like things are ever changing. Systems are different. Um, processes are different as well. So like the only way you can really, um, the only way you can really get a hold of these things and be efficient in them is to tap the person next to you, tap the person all the way across the room, as long as you're getting the job done, like make it known that you can be resourceful. Like right. that, like that's probably my biggest thing. Just like advocate for yourself as a resourceful, trustworthy employee. Right. And I think that that's something that certainly sets veterans apart, not to say that there aren't other people who are resourceful, but I think a lot of people get <clears throat> the idea conflated and they, they, with, with hard work, like they say, you know, like a, a veterans, a higher veteran, they're hard workers, you know, but I mean, there's a lot of hard workers out there. Um, veterans are not, they don't have the corner marketed on, uh, the, the market cornered on, on hard work. Um, so being resourceful though, I think they certainly have a leg up in that, in that sense, especially at the, like, we're specifically talking about folks who get out in their early twenties, you know, because like you come out of college at 25, um, when I was getting my master's at 28, there were like people who had just finished their bachelor's and then were getting their master's in journalism too. And they were nice people, but they didn't have that type of experience. You know, they were still yeah. asking the teacher questions that I was like, you know, like the, the one veteran in the corner of the classroom was like, Oh my God, why do you keep yeah. asking these questions? You know? Um, so yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Um, so yeah, I would say, say, yeah, go oh, ahead. Excuse me. Yeah. I would say, yeah, just, you know, really just putting yourself out there as like a resourceful team member and also just a collaborative person. Like right. it takes a collaborative effort, especially in news. Like, like, like it, it, like that's what it's going to take. And that's going to make this whole, you know, organized chaos in which a newsroom is feel like it's a smooth operation, even though it never is just being collaborative. Like, right. like you've had to work with people, different people from different backgrounds and ethnicity and, and, and ethnicities for four, three, five years, you've had to do that. Right. And you had to set aside everything else and you had to collaborate with these people and um, just being collaborative. And also another thing I always preach is like the emotional intelligence you gain from the military. It's it, it, it's unmatched as far as life experiences, just like the emotional t intelligence that you have to deploy on a daily basis, because so many people have so many different things going on. Right specifically in the military, because we're all displaced for one. And sometimes we may not even be close to home, but also we may not even be close to family, depending on if we're deployed or if we're stationed overseas and we can't bring our spouses or our partners with us. Like it's so much going on. And right. then just being a million miles away from home. Right. And on top of that, having to navigate in a completely new space. So like the emotional intelligence that we develop to kind of like be able to identify, um, you know, certain factors that could be playing into our fellow sergeant, our fellow petty officer, and then to be able to like manage with right. all those things intact and in mind. Like, I think it just prepares us 
um, in such a good way for the civilian world because yeah. emotional intelligence, I feel like, isn't prioritized in the civilian world as it should be just because, like, most people don't have experiences un unless they're leadership or like a very tenured person at a company. They don't have the experience that's actually put them in a situation to have to work with people. Right. And because you everybody goes home at night for the most part, you know, sure. so like, you know, you see that you see Joe or John or Jane or whatever for for eight hours a day. It's like, you know. I know at the end of this day, I'm going to get go home and just forget about this person for another 15, 12 hours, whatever. Yeah. You know, we don't get that luxury in the military. So you learn to befriend people who aren't like you and that you don't know about and raise differently, come from different places, look different. You know, I mean, that's just like 101. You don't even really think about it until you leave. So absolutely. So shifting gears a little bit here, what what is your proudest moment, you would say, as a journalist? Um, my proudest moment, I would say, I would say probably my proudest moment probably would be recent, um, at ESPN, um, for being in the program I'm in now, ESPN Next, it's a leadership development program and a rotating program where you kind of get to work in different, um, business units at ESPN, kind of like an, a, the equivalency of an um, associate program in a lot of ways. So I've spent most of my time working in business, content development and strategy, which is, you know, separate from production. You're not putting stuff together. You're working from an overhead view of things and um, just not producing content. Right. So I'm finally in a position where I'm producing content um, on Sports Center, and it's actually only my third week since I've transitioned to the production side of ESPN. And my proudest moment, I would say so far, um, my first night out of training, um, working on a highlight by myself, I ended up having the game of the night for Scott Van Pelt Sports Center, which airs at the top of the show. And um, it originally started kind of, you know, in the middle of the rundown and like in EMPS and that's like that game kept developing Joel Embiid dropped like 20 points in one quarter um and it was a tight game I just slowly start seeing my my, my highlight move up move up it right. kept moving up from the C's to the B's to the A's now it's game of the night and that was my first day working on a highlight by myself but I would say what made me so proud about it though like my highlight producer and my content associate kind of helping me out. They were just like, man, you're cool. You're calm. You're collected. Are you nervous? And my whole way of navigating that whole situation was just like, I'm, I'm not nervous just because I got y'all here with me. Right. I'm gonna <laughs> like, I'm gonna grab y'all at any time I have a question because right. I know like that game ended at 10 o'clock. We had an hour to get that highlight edited properly to get a shot sheet written for the anchor to read, to get a cut sheet made. We had all these things to do after the actual highlight was made and laid down on a track. And, um, you know, high intensity, a highly intense moment. And, you know, Scott Van Pelt airs at 11 o'clock. Time is dwindling, dwindling, dwindling. And I'm just like, I feel like I'm in a comfortable space because, like, 
I'm not just doing this. Like I, I have no interest in making this highlight on my own, especially in my first day there. I just want to get the highlight to air in time so that Scott Van Pelt can present it. And I had, you know, a highlight producer and a content associate right by my side. And I'm just like, Hey man, like in my head, I'm just like, I have a team here. Yeah, not exactly. just me. I have a team. My name may go on it, but I have a team. Right. And when I stepped back from that situation, I was I felt extremely comfortable and proud that like how like I just made just reached, you know, millions at 11 p.m. on a Wednesday night. And um, that was something I could never imagine. But also I was just proud because like I, I did it with a team like I did it right. with people who were willing to help me open to helping me and um, I was open to having help as right. opposed to trying to get it done on my own. That's, that's huge, man. I saw you put that on Twitter, actually. I had to uh, check that out, but yeah, that's, that's definitely awesome, man. I'm, I think everybody's super proud of you and that's huge to huge impact, you know, that you're making a, uh, with that. I mean, in terms of viewership um, and, you know, obviously not to like beat a dead horse, but it's, similar to being in the military in the sense that you always have a team for the most part in that way too. And like, you don't know your job when you first start or the intricacies of everything above and below, but you know, you have people above and below that you could lean on. So definitely, which kind of alludes to my next question of military veterans and journalism as an organization, uh, you know, what do you think that does for the community, for our community? I mean, do you, how do you think that that helps? Um, I would say mainly, especially for me, because when I got to New York um, to study, I I couldn't tell you a veteran that worked in journalism. I just couldn't tell you. And I was doing my research and I would find people. But, you know, these are just one offs where I'm just like, hey, can I hit you up in this? And that it wasn't anything formal. It wasn't an organized community. So for me, I think um what MVJ is doing for veterans um, specifically is building a pipeline at a time, building a specific pipeline for a specific group of people in veterans like us at a time where a million different pipelines are being built to kind of make the whole, all industries or access to industries um, more equal and more fair. Right. And like, we got NABJ, NAHJ, AAJ, all those things, which I'm a part of NABJ as well. But for veterans, like I consider myself social, but like I can't consider myself to be everyone. Right. So for somebody, it, it, it could be somebody else like me, but like they really only identify with the veteran community. You know, that could be because of age, experience, but also age as well. Right. And um, so I feel like it's good. Like MVJ is good for veterans just because like we get our own specific pipeline. Like we're not asking everybody to look at us, look at us, look at us. But in a day and age, especially um, after 2020, where like diversity is really being pushed and diversity is really being uh, diversity and inclusion is really being looked at under a critical eye. and, And, you know, these corporations are being held accountable and kept honest. Um, in their efforts in diversity and inclusion, like every pipeline, like there needs to be a pipeline for every group. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, like the awesome thing about 
um, MVJ is that we have people just like the military who represent every background, ethnicity, race, religion. I mean, like we, I mean, we're not a huge organization, but we certainly have a representative of each group, you know, um, Mm -hmm. which I think is cool. And we're transparent about that. I think we did a survey not that long ago to see exactly the backgrounds of our membership. And, uh, and we collect the information when people join and stuff so we could see, you know, okay, we have this many people from this area or this from that or whatever, but I think you're right. I mean, you might also be a part of NABJ or NAHJ or, or, you know, any other of those organizations, but it's also nice to have this one too, you know, because, you know, you're allowed to identify with more than one, you know, group of people, you know, I mean, everybody is, people are complex, you know, and, and diversity being celebrated is, is obviously extremely important. And, you know, we don't want to leave a group behind. So, you know, veterans sometimes get left behind and, and, you know, uh, we don't want that to happen just like we don't want anybody to be left behind. So definitely now kind of a, another big question is if you could speak to a hiring manager, hiring managers in journalism, what would you say to them about hiring military veterans? Um, I guess the main thing I would probably say to them would be like, focus on those intangible skills and know that you're looking at somebody who has been asked to get the job done day in and day out for three, four, five, 10, 20 years. Like as a working professional, like I oftentimes think people um, put our military experience in a box and I'm just like, you don't have to put it in a box. Yes, it was in the domain, in in this specific domain of the military. However, though, these are, I tell people all the time, I have professional experience. I have five years of professional experience. Like when once, if like I don't have to put the military over top of it. Right. I don't have to preface it was the military. I have five years of professional experience and I would say treat their military experience as any other professional experience. Which is huge because like, like, like you said, you don't have to, you don't have to preface it. You know, it's like, you could just leave that part out and be like, you know, you don't have to lean on that. I know it's comforting for a lot of folks, but like, you don't have to be comfortable embracing the fact and being proud of the fact that yeah it was in the military but it was professional experience yeah i I did you know i just did it in a uniform for you know for the nation but like i was doing things that you also do you know and whatever your job is so definitely so that being said what would you kind of leave off with to veterans who are thinking about you know exploring this field, maybe transitioning or, or, or think about what they want to do after they get out or even having just got out, you know, and they're interested in journalism, think they might be, what, what's your advice? Um, I think my advice to a veteran that was interested in journalism or just a transitioning veteran would be um, start working on your resume early. It's always going to be a work in progress. A resume is always going to be a work in progress. Get it out to as many people as you can military and civilians and kind of see, you know, the difference in the language and um, really hone in on the language. And don't be afraid to translate that military service to civilian, um, to, to, you know, the civilian language or whatnot. Like, don't be afraid, like, like do it. 
Like you work for an operations officer, that's the COO. You work for, you supported a commanding officer, that's the CEO. Right. Like you, you, you work for the um, engineering, you work for the chief engineering officer, you work for a department head. Right. Like, like don't be afraid to translate that at all. Like just strip it of the military language and, and deliver it in a way that your peer who has been working the same amount of time as you in the civilian sector would. And another thing I would say is just really craft your own narrative and really lean into it. Um, because, you know, we are, we did serve in the military. So unfortunately there is going to be some bias. There is going to be some, um, misconceptions around, you know, who we are and what we did craft your own narrative, own your narrative and drive it home. Like you don't have to, you know, you don't have to plaster it everywhere, but in terms of like, you know, your networking, your interviewing, really craft your narrative and drive it home. Because when you get the chance to speak about yourself and and what you did, don't leave anything on the table. Because nine times out of 10, if you really, really did the work on under translating your, your service to, you know, civilian responsibilities and duties, nine times out of 10, that recruiter, whoever's interviewing you, or if you just have an exploratory interview with a with a project manager or something like that, they're gonna be impressed. And it's gonna take them by shock, like, oh wow, like what you did is the same as what I do or what yeah. I did that position. Right. Should would be enlightening. I've seen it on on civilians' faces too. They're like, whoa, that I never thought about it like that. So yeah. for sure. So, solid advice. And um anything you wanna leave off with? That's those are uh, all the questions I have for you today. Um I, Nothing really. I would say that that last piece of advice is really what I would drive home or and what I drive home to anybody I talk to is just craft your own narrative. Always work on your resume. Always just keep on, you know, sending it around and getting it in a good place. And because, you know, I'm just now realizing certain things I could put on my resume three years after I got out that I didn't necessarily realize a year or like less than that, like a few weeks after I got out or while I was in the service. So just always like just craft your resume and, you know, own your narrative. And when you get the chance to speak about what you did, speak about it proudly, speak about it in a way that civilians can understand, but don't shy away from what you did. For sure. All right, Clyde. Well, I appreciate uh, the knowledge bombs you dropped on us today. And uh, thanks for joining me on the sword and pen podcast. All right. Thanks, Rich. I appreciate it a lot.